Well, good morning. It is really good to uh, see you this morning. It's good to be back. I appreciate your prayers for me and shoulder surgery and things are going well. Um, I told somebody a few minutes ago the the slings kind of for, uh, hey, something's going on here, but I'm really doing well and uh, thankful for you guys and your prayers. So uh, join me this morning. Stand with me as we begin our service uh, singing Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. 
Well, it is good to have Fred back with us and appreciate all those who helped fill in while he was away. And at the same time, we're grateful for what uh, uh, we are anticipating in this new year and all that is coming with it. And today we have a special opportunity to recognize uh, the sanctity of life and to recognize as well uh, the, the burden that we have as a people to uh, encourage and to also give alternative uh, to those who are thinking about the, the ending of a life. And uh, so we'll be hearing more uh, just a little bit from uh, uh, a couple of individuals who are here with us from Choices and uh, giving us an opportunity to uh, share in that ministry. But it's good to have Priscilla Boley and Anthony Griggs with us and uh, opportunity to hear from them in just a little bit. We've got several that we're praying for as we open our service here officially together and uh, thinking about ones that uh, have had some different challenges throughout this week. And I continue to pray for Jana. Uh, she uh, is home, she is recovering, but uh, it's been slow going. It uh, really got uh, very serious there in a hurry and uh, grateful that she is on the road to recovery. Also pray for Elsa Smith, young lady in our church that uh, uh, is home recovering as well from a, a, a type of hip surgery and uh, grateful that that went well. Oh, she is here. All right, well, hey girl. All right, all right, and she's probably milking it for all it's worth, I would say. All right, good for you, but uh, it's good to have her here. And uh, then others that uh, we've been praying for, Phyllis Pfizer, and uh, also, uh, this again, Susie Moeller, we've got uh, Robert Malone, Paul Shinnefield. Uh, Paul, in fact, has a procedure tomorrow and uh, to get rid of that kidney stone. And uh, so just different ones that uh, are on our list there to be in prayer for. Uh, in there, it mentions Sandy Gramacki's father. And at the time of the printing, uh, he, he was still in the ICU, but he has since passed. And uh, Friday evening late, uh, James went home to be with the Lord. And uh, so be in prayer for Sandy and her family, uh, and uh, especially for her mother, Anne, and uh, just remembering uh, them through this time. And uh, his journey through these later years of health and challenges, uh, the Lord has seen fit to truly heal him. And uh, so we're grateful for that. But at the same time, that leaves a huge hole. And uh, so be in prayer for Sandy and uh, her mother through this time. So just different things that are upon our hearts as we're aware of those that we care for and we minister to and are ministered through by them to us and uh, asking the Lord to just give us strength in these days. So let's open our time in a word of prayer. And then we're gonna hear from our group here from uh, Choices uh, after we watch something that reminds us again of why we take a Sunday, set aside, and think about the sanctity of human life. Father, we pray that you'll bless our time this morning. I pray that you'll encourage our hearts in you and the power that you have to rescue us from our sin, but more importantly as well, to give to us that presence, that, that personal attention through that relationship that you've given to us, the ministry of your spirit, but through the gospel, the good news that we can have a relationship with the God of the universe. And the promise that this is not where everything gets fixed. It's really with you. And Lord, in this lifetime, there will be hardship. There will be loss. There'll be suffering. There'll be pain. There'll be the effects of bad choices. And there will be the, the benefits of establishing relationships, the highs, the lows, the good, the things that are challenging, and even many might say the evil that is seen in our world. And God, we pray that as the church, the representation of your body, the physical handling of yourself upon this world, Lord, that we would truly be the hands and the feet that you've left us to be, Lord, and also the heart. 
that we would reflect you well in these days. Lord, we pray for those who have endured loss in the last few months. We pray for Sandy and her family. I pray for those who are going through diagnosis and different challenges that come with medical treatment and recovery. And so, Lord, in these days, I pray that we would find our strength in you. And may you be the hope, the existence, Lord, that we rely upon for our very existence. So I pray that you'll bless, that you will encourage our hearts today. And we're excited to see what you're capable of doing in the hearts and lives of people as you transform them for your glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray. At this time, we're going to watch something, and then I'm going to ask our team from Choices to come and share with us about how we as a church are and can continue or could begin as well to work together in reaching even our locale uh, with people's hearts and lives that are sensitive at a very crucial point in their life at the pregnancy moment and that moment of choice and decision for many of them as to whether or not to keep a child or whether to abort. And so listening now and thinking about those things encourage our hearts and what God is up to. Let's watch. From the moment of conception, every life is woven together with DNA, which determines gender, eye color, and hair color, and makes us all unique. Each one valued beyond measure God created us in His own image. I have called you by name. You are mine. You can be the voice that saves a life. You can be the friend who encourages a mom. You can be the one that empowers a dad. When we all understand how precious every life is, we can be the instruments to change a culture a culture that values every life as a gift from God. Today, we recognize the sanctity of human life, of every person, young or old, perfectly formed and fashioned by the Creator. Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Anthony Griggs. Um, I, I'm here with Priscilla representing Joyce's. And first of all, just thank you for having us here. Um, I would just like to take a few minutes to speak with you on the theme of redemption. At Joyce's, one of the big things that we focus on is redemption because a lot of people that come through our office are in a sensitive and broken place. And we just want to share our love, the love of Jesus with them. So I just have three ways I'd like to focus on how Choices likes to focus on redemption. The first area is um, we want to redeem the mentality of the unplanned pregnancy. So I would say most if, well, basically most people that come into our office with a pregnancy, the pregnancy wasn't planned. They had no idea that they were gonna get pregnant. And let's just be honest, a lot of us, um, like myself, um, my wife and I, we have one child and he came as a surprise. He's the best surprise we ever had. Um, I love that kid. He'll be six next, next month. But most people that come into our office weren't planning on getting pregnant. And um, we, see, we see a lot of honestly negative emotions associated with that. Some people when they come in, they, they're scared. Some people are angry. Some people are confused. And we understand that because pregnancy, you know, leads to a child and raising children is a lot. It's a huge commitment. It's a wonderful commitment, but it's huge. And some people don't feel ready for it. 
some people um, are in college, they were planning out their careers and then they find out that they might be bringing a life into this world. So um, with the mentality of an unplanned pregnancy comes a lot of negative emotions. But at Choices, we want to redeem the mentality of an unplanned pregnancy because even though it does bring a lot of unplanned challenges, having a kid is a beautiful thing. Like my son, sometimes he drives me crazy, but I wouldn't change any of that for the world. I love that kid and I look forward to watching him grow. Some people when they come in, um, just based on some of those negative emotions, they want to get the abortion. Some people are dead set in getting the abortion. I've spoken to some of these people that are like, we're going to get the abortion, that's what we're going to do. You can tell us whatever you want to, that's what we're going to do. But we get to speak life into that situation. And myself and many of our other staff members have seen people, spoken to people who came in determined to get an abortion. But when they leave, they, they, don't, they don't want to get the abortion anymore. And that's one of the most beautiful things that I've ever witnessed. So the first area of redemption that Choices wants to focus on is redeeming that mentality. Even though the pregnancy is unplanned and it's going to have a lot of challenges, it's going to be okay. We offer so many ways of helping. We want to walk alongside them in their new step in the journey. And yeah, we want to redeem that mentality of the unplanned pregnancy. The second area that we want to share redemption is um, with those who have had an abortion and are feeling guilt. Um, Choices offers post-abortive counseling for men and for women. Um, just in the fallen world we live in, there are people who have had an abortion and whether it's weeks, months, years later, they experience regret with that. And we at Choices want to help them process that grief. We want them to walk through that and realize that even though that they've made a mistake, Jesus loves them and we, we want them to experience that love, that healing, that redemption. We have one client who's in the post-abortive counseling who um, had previous abortions, I believe it was four, and she came to Choices before she had each of these abortions. And the reason she kept on coming back was because we showed her, Choices showed her love, no judgment, no pointing of the fingers. And she finally decided that when she felt the regret of those abortions, that she wanted to come to us to help her process through that. And I just think that that's a beautiful thing that she just felt able to keep coming back. The last area of redemption that I'd like to share is just the redemption of mankind from sin. When people come into our office, whether it's for um, pregnancy testing, ultrasounds, or pre um, parenting classes, we're in a position to where we can just tell them about Jesus. A lot of people that come into our office don't know Jesus as their savior. And when we're in a room speaking with them, we can just talk about Jesus. I don't know how else to say it, it's just that simple. We are permission-based, so if we ask, hey, how do you feel about spiritual things? And if they shut it down, then that's fine. We won't force it. But I can tell you over the two years that I've been working there, I've been able to get into some really deep spiritual discussions with some people. Like sometimes I get to just lay the gospel out, just straight up. And do I have a come to Jesus moment every time with those decisions or those conversations? No. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about how one man plants a seed, somebody else waters it, 
and it's God that causes the increase. So when we speak to people about Jesus, we're planting a seed, we're possibly watering that seed, and it's up to God to cause the increase, but um, we just wanna be faithful in sharing the gospel. And with people who enroll in our parenting class, we, have, we see them roughly twice a month. So each of those times in our lesson, there's a spiritual application. And during that spiritual application, we can bring it up. I can think of a guy that um, um, at first he wasn't, I, I didn't really feel like he was into the spiritual conversations, but time after time again, I was able to, you know, just touch on it. And then one day I just asked him, how would you like to accept Jesus into your heart? And he said, yes, and I got to pray with him in the room. So um, once again, choices focuses on redemption. How can you help? Well, first of all, I'm just gonna say prayer. I don't think that as a body, we realize how important prayer is. If you think about us, just pray. Pray that God would guide us as we speak with clients. Pray that God would bring the right people to our, to our doors and just pray that those who are seeking abortions will have a change of heart and that God will turn their hearts to the hearts of their unborn children. If you're possibly interested in volunteering or supporting financially, Priscilla and I will be at a table out there and we can give you more information on that. But that's pretty much all I have to say. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for the support that you've given Choices so far. take just a moment for us to have a special word of prayer for choices specifically in their front line a ministry uh, reaching into a community a part of our Chattanooga community but uh, also just God using them in a very specific way join with me in prayer as we go and ask the Lord to continue this ministry father I pray for the work that you're doing through choices and volunteers the many that even from our own church here that participate and work faithfully. I, I thank you for the burden that you have impressed upon uh, those that serve in this way that uh, day by day try to meet people where they are, where the, the aspects of life, the, the situations of life and the circumstances have led them now to a place of decision. That Lord, a decision that does have lingering effects and consequences. And so Lord, I pray that you would continue to turn the hearts and minds of those that are coming for the, the free resources, but at the same time, Lord, I pray that it would turn them to the freedom that they can find in you. I ask, Lord, that you would give uh, the financial needs and uh, the, the, to provide for those resources that are necessary. I pray that you would continue to give them great staff and people that are truly understanding of the mission and the purpose. I pray, Lord, that you would allow them to continue to have an effective ministry as they serve in our community here. And Lord, reaching those who need to hear about you, but also to find alternatives to a very difficult choice. Thank you again for your time in these people's lives and the ways that you're investing in them. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to continue to reach out. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, The word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And I just want to express to you this morning that we can have confidence in the truth, confidence for ourselves, confidence for our families, confidence as Anthony just shared, to, to share with others, confidence 
that the word is true and we have the truth. We have a sure foundation in uh, the word of God. Would you stand with me as we continue our worship this morning as we sing uh, a hymn, How Firm a Foundation. Stand as you 
take your Bibles with me, go to the book of Genesis chapter 1, as we take a moment, thinking this morning on living on purpose, you know, I was thinking about today and uh, this time as we historically as a church, as, as Grace Baptist specifically, we, we take a Sunday, we invite a group like Choices to come, we we take a moment and emphasize the value, the importance of rescuing and encouraging and speaking clearly about the unborn child. And I was thinking about it and kind of posing in my own question, you know, do we need to continue doing this? You know, is this something that as a church, we need to keep addressing the matter of abortion and the sanctity of human life? Am I preaching to the choir, so to speak? You know, and that thought, is it, more of a moot issue for us. And the importance of addressing this issue is that it's not the cause of the problem. Planned Parenthood clinics or an abortion-prone doctor's office or some other abortion-specific clinic is not the source of the problem. So don't go out and bomb them, in other words. And we, we see a response to this in so many different ways you know, I was thinking about the fact that a woman is facing this dilemma of choosing to abort the so-called fetus or to go through with the pregnancy is really not the issue either. To understand this issue of abortion is to also understand the correlation that abortion has with the transgender movement and homosexuality and even the prolific battle over pornography. And all of these are a battle over identity and a battle over purpose. And we could say that it's a battle over our essence and over our function, a battle over who I am and why I am here. 
And so this morning, I'd like to take some time and just read through again some familiar passages here in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We're not going to read all of the entirety of these chapters, but I'd like to take us through again a reminder of some things that we see within the creative act. Beginning in Genesis 1 and verse 26, It says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Chapter two, look at verse seven. It says, then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Look at chapter two and verse 18. And it says there, then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper that is suitable for him. And all the men in the room said, amen. That's right. We're grateful for that. But then go over to chapter three. And the the series of contradictions that come into play. As you move from chapter two into chapter three, we find the great event of what we call the fall of mankind, where everything begins to change. And all of this begins to distort itself and man is succumbed by his passion for something that was not his created design. He desired to be like God. And we come to chapter three then in verse 16. And it says to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth and in pain you will bring forth children and yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And we find that there is now a distinction that we see between the synergy that was once man and woman as understanding their roles and their purpose and their function as God had designed it. And now we see that there's going to be coming a tension. There's going to become conflict. There will actually be pain involved in the creation of a child and then and developing of this ongoing relationship as husband and wife. Then in chapter 3 and verse 20, now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Go over to chapter 4 and look at the first two verses. And the man had relations with his wife Eve and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. And again she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, and Cain a tiller of the ground. In each of these very familiar passages, we read of origin, we read of design and function, we read of a being, the one true God, the one who made, and he made all that we know and all that exists. God made humanity. And God took of the dust of the ground and God fashioned and formulated a man. And at the heart of an issue like abortion stands the story of our origin. And what I find interesting about the arguments for abortion is the contradiction to origin. I want to look at a couple of these thoughts and we've already mentioned them. I'd like to look first of all at the essence. 
When I think about our essence, at the heart of all of these issues is the battle over our essence. What makes a person unique? And why does it matter? If a woman is wanting to end the pregnancy, what does it matter to you? It's not your body. It's not your choice. And this is where the lines begin to be drawn. The context of the debate is shaped within very particular spheres. And first of all, you can see that it begins in the sphere of it being a personal matter. When you think about it in that sense, this is a woman with a personal experience. It could be a matter of timing, the demands of life, the conditions under which a pregnancy comes into being. And so she takes these personal experiences and begins to then formulate something based upon how she came to be and her idea of the world around her, her view of her place, her purpose. It is tied to her very essence. This is who I am. This is what makes me who I am. To have a pregnancy at this moment could alter the design and the intention, the course of my life. And so it becomes very personal. But then there's the second sphere in which this, this idea, these issues are then populated, and that is in the political sphere. And we have politicized this. And here we have the experts, the public opinion that's being shaped by a perceived majority that really does not exist. And to enter into a discussion now moves us from an honest exchange to now making a policy, to legislating morality, to promoting an agenda that is based upon societal pressures. But then there's another sphere in which this struggle of essence rages, and that's just simply within the prejudice. This can create the political tensions, and it can be maximized by a personal experience. But the prejudice is to say that what I know exceeds any other rule or standard and therefore leaves no room for a solution other than the one that I deem that is right or is just, or is superior. But at the essence of our creation is something that was not of my design. An essence speaks of a substance, a construct, a point of origin that also indicates that there is something or someone behind the inception. And according to Genesis chapter 1, our essence is one of life. And in this vessel that was created, God, the author of life, the creator of our bodies, did more than what he had done to all the other plants, the animals, or anything else that he had created. And the first time in the record that we have, when it involves all of the other things that God had constructed and designed, God steps aside and has a conversation. He takes time. He called for a discussion. He speaks of his intentions and that this part of his creation was going to be different. Similar in some ways, and even using substances that had already been made, but he's going to go a step even further. God was ready to make mankind, humanity. And God saw origination in this concept but used a formula that had existed from eternity past. He used his own image, the aspect of something having an eternal existence. He used his own image, something that had the ability to have a relationship with him and with other human beings. 
God used his own image to give to man a place of authority and to represent the will of God in his place upon this earth. God gave man the kings to the ki- keys to the kingdom, so to speak. And he entrusted mankind to propagate a place that would be then filled with the offspring of a union that was designed by God for God's glory. On Sunday evenings, I'm working with our young people that are coming to the youth meetings that we have here on Sunday nights. And we're talking about relationships. And one of the unique things about our relationships is that all of our relationships are intended to draw others as well as ourselves into a closer relationship with God. To understand that even God himself is a relational being. When you think about a triune God, as Father, Son, and Spirit, that coexists in such a way where there is absolute peace and harmony with distinctions and qualifications that they have established for themselves as God. One God, three beings working together as God over the universe. And in that image, he created us to have relationships, not just with him, but with each other. And in a unique way, he gives to us an understanding as he is the authority over all of creation, God had entrusted the authority of this creation to mankind. You will rule over the animals, over the sphere of this terrestrial ball that I have placed you upon. And you will then reproduce yourselves after your kind. So when God speaks of the human life, We understand that what he is speaking of is a part of the creation where the author of life, God, was to be clearly seen. The invisible made clear and plain within the visible of his creation because we become the image bearers of God himself. And then sin came. And in that distortion... And through the time of our existence under that distorted relationship, we have seen that man has consistently proven that he would rather be his own God, his own source, his own origination, and therefore he becomes the designer of his own fate, his own outcomes, and yet at the same time there isn't a single thing that we are capable of propagating that wasn't designed by God already. But intimately tied to our essence is then the second thing that I want us to see, and that is the function. With design comes purpose. Think about it in the sense of the things that you design and see designed, for what end are they to come about? If you work in the construction industry, the blueprints are there so that an industrial center, a house, Lord, here one of these days soon, a church building, amen, can get built. There is a design. But to think about the design to our cars and to the very engines that propel them, the design of a watch, the design of an electronic device, they all are designed with an understanding that there is an intention that by this design, something is effectively reaped. There's, there's a functionality to it. So why did God design man? Why did God design us the way he designed us? 
And why did God design the birds and the fish and all the other land animals? Why did God design the creation? Why did God design the solar system? Why did God design it in such a way? And over and over and over and over again, we're reminded that we were designed in such a way to ultimately bring glory to God. With design comes purpose, and mankind was made higher than all the rest of the creatures that he had created. Go to Genesis 2 again, look at verses 19 and 20. And he says, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable to him until God then proved to Adam that, Adam, you are something distinctly different than all of these things. There's a diminutive aspect here. There's an authority structure that's laid out here. You are responsible for these creatures, but you'll not find anything like you and you will not find anyone exactly for you like what I'm about to create for you. And that's when he made woman. In that humanity and by her very essence, God completed the picture and what Adam would need to live as that human being, that person that God had created for function and for lineage. And by the way, that included the monkeys. Everything else that the world around us has tried to change us into to, to dement and defeat the story of God's uniqueness and his design, everything about it was to establish that humanity is different from and yet very similar to, but yet distinct in its purpose and in its function. And God created mankind in his image for what purpose? To think about that. In Genesis, we find that there's the obvious purposes that are there and that we can see, and sometimes then there are the missed pieces of purpose. In August of 1977, a 19-year-old college student entered into the Sioux City, Iowa hospital to undertake an abortion. And the method of choice had been a saline, in, saline infusion directly injected into the amniotic fluid surrounding that growing infant. The solution had been injected a few days earlier and was meant to literally boil the child to death, causing the skin to blacken while invading that little child's body to reach the internal organs. And they would many times refer to these aborted children as candy apple babies. The day has come to be induced and an indu induced delivery has been scheduled and it was expected that a deceased fetus would be removed from the body. The story reads that as the Pitocin drip opens her womb, the closed darkened tomb of her child is prematurely opened. And her perfectly formed daughter with dark hair and delicate features is delivered, and it's done. And she'll be taken care of later, discarded like medical waste, but she's a child. A perfectly formed child, and yet this is her fate, to be entombed in her mother's womb, and after being forcefully removed, to be laid to rest for all of eternity in the trash, nameless, faceless, voiceless. But God creates beauty from ashes, and he breathes life into those who are lifeless. He brings the truth out of the darkness and into the light. And by his grace, as the baby girl he created was so brazenly attacked and left for dead in the coldly clinical hospital room, 
he gave her the strength to move her tiny limbs of her two-pound, 14-ounce body and gasp for breath with her tiny mouth. Melissa Oden, now in her 40s, is one of the thousands who have survived every attempt by the medical professionals, the politicians, the misguided and often overwhelmed parents who sought to end the life of this little human being. And her story is absolutely amazing. I'm sure many of you have read her story. She was adopted right after this event by two very loving parents who gave Melissa a home. And against all odds, she truly survived. She has gone on to have a family. She's not had an easy life. It's not been you know, filled with everything that we could imagine that's rosy and peachy keen, but at the same time, she has enjoyed giving birth to two children. It's interesting because she has even found her biological mother, and she is connected with her biological father's side of the family. But as well, she has become, for many, a living testimony of what everyone truly understands that these are human beings. And that is also indicative of the purpose of pregnancy. And that is a part of our function, to reproduce. The identity of a human being is that we have been created with different bodies, male and female. And God created us individually to have a purpose. Your very design is intentional by God's creative genius. But ultimately, it means to be a means of creating relationships, of establishing a legacy, of giving to the next generation a glimpse of what it really means to be created in the image of God. Our created purpose is where the battle rages. Our function is tied to our essence. If you take away our identity as a created being and an image bearer, then you lose your functionality. Now you can understand why there is such a battle over transgender, over homosexuality, over all of these other areas that we're seeing as the rage of our society because we have lost the very essence of who we are. We've lost our identity and that's what the power of the church and the gospel brings to the conversation. Human life is precious because God says it is precious. But if I am God and I am the maker of my own fate, that I deem what is precious. And so we have this conflict over who's truly ruling and reigning and governing and guiding and whose function and whose very essence I'm responsible to. Your existence is not an accident. Your being on this planet It's not a fluke of chance or of some cosmic mishap. We're not evolving into a higher plane or moving to some next level of human existence. So what can we take away from today? I want you to notice with me a few things. Number one is this, context matters. Anthony brought up a really good point. And I think this is where we can get so belligerent at times is that every person that's going through this has a story. I was reading something recently that reminded me that everyone has a context of life. 
The greatest lesson that we can take away is to be sensitive to the people that we come across. There may be someone even in this room that somewhere in your past you went through an experience of having an abortion. And to be aware of that within the church, so many times that person deals with that guilt, deals with that grief, deals with that shame, deals with that obstinate struggle in their life because they don't want anybody else to know because the church has responded so sourly to people in that situation and that condition. We as a church need to understand that every person's context is different. The greatest lesson that we can take away is to be sensitive to those people that someone here may have chosen to follow through with an abortion, but that does not mean, that does not preclude that you are forever bound to carry that load on your own. Someone close to you may have a dilemma coming one day. It might be your son's girlfriend that he has just gotten pregnant, and now they're left with a choice. It may be your very own daughter. And in every one of these, it's when we are faced now with the choice and we are faced with the dilemma. Our child is going through this. Our child is struggling with this identification crisis. How will we then respond? Does truth then become shadows of the past, shades of acceptance, or do we stand firm upon the truth, the integrity of truth in order to better guide and help our hearts go through it? But speaking truth, how? In love, how will we love them? How will we show them in their context of life that it does not have to lead them to an end of life scenario? How do we guide them through with truth? Because in the end, when they find that they have come to the end of all of the other options, they need to know where truth really resides. Hearing the story about a young lady who has gone through it multiple times and yet she keeps coming back. Why does she keep coming back to organizational like choices? Because she has found love, but she's also found the truth there. And one of these days, she will be able to find great comfort when she opens her heart to really embrace the truth of the transforming power of Christ. How do we love them to that experience? The context matters. Don't cookie cutter people. Don't put them in a box. Love them in their context. Be there for them in their situation of life. But because, but by the grace of God, that could be your very situation of life. Second of all, compassion matters. We want all of these babies to live but then we declare adoption as the best solution or we encourage them to keep the child and try to parent. But what do we do when it speak of terms of coming alongside and walking with them? How do we promote adoption and yet we don't assist in the process? Because the alternatives are expensive. Sometimes the context puts these mothers into a difficult financial situation. And I think as a church, we need to put our money where our mouth is. We need to put our time and the equity of our time into where we claim this person should go. And if we're such a proponent of these things, where is the church then coming alongside and being active participants in the solutions as much as declaring them from our pulpits, declaring them from our blog spheres and Facebook pages? Where are we when compassion really matters, when we're visibly the hands and feet of Christ? 
So let's not offer solutions that we're not willing to back it up. Let's evidence our compassion by being supportive. And then third, choices matter. And if you're not ready to have a child, then do not engage in practices that God has already designed to how children come into being. Choices matter. And in those cases where a child is conceived and now a mother is left with the decision, there are alternatives to an abortion. Aren't we grateful for organizations like Choices? Amen, church? But what are we doing as the church? We can't rely on Choices to do it all. They don't have the manpower and the resources to do all of that. Do we have any here that would love to be a voice of encouragement to offer hope to a couple, especially to a mother who is debating, struggling over whether this pregnancy will ever survive? Your choices matter. And to choose that someone else can do it is to say that I have no attention to the fact that I have been designed by God for a purpose as well. And if God is bringing these people across my path and I know this circumstance and that connection to that person, God knows my partnership with them, what is my role in encouraging them, making a choice to invest in them, to show compassion, to be in their context so that I can offer them truth in a compassionate, loving way, but showing them there is a choice. You don't have to get an abortion. I want us to close with a thought that's found in Galatians chapter 4 and how our God made a choice. And when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, verse 5, so that He might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. God made a choice. And then I'm reminded of Philippians in chapter 2, where our Savior made a choice, and he says in verse 5, and having this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the very form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. And taking the form of a bondservant and made in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We need to be a church that reminds a desperate mother a scared father, and a misguided world that God matters and that God does indeed care. Live how God intended when he created us and show others how much God loves them. Live your life on purpose and may others see the glory of God through it. If you're here this morning and there is a weight, there is a guilt, there is a shame, maybe it's tied to a struggle of a choice that was made out of an indecisiveness in the moment, and there is a struggle, there is an 
a nature of not understanding intent and purpose of the human design and the human intentionality and the battle that rages in your heart. You need to talk to someone. Come find me. Talk to Kelly O'Rear. If you're a lady, if there is a, a struggle within you, we have ladies that would more than love to sit down and just walk with you through that journey of recovery. If you know someone that's going through this, and you feel so stunted in your ability to love them as you should and to help them as you should. Come talk to us. The idea of working together within the body to help people in your sphere of life is exactly where God has you right where he wants you. And that's the beauty of being the church in the Monday through Saturday relationships, is being out there where the world is, showing them the glory of Christ. May we truly live on purpose. Let's stand together for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that as we close, as we think about these things, thank you for the opportunity to remind us of your intention and your design and your purpose. Thank you for creating within us an understanding, Lord, that you have gifted to us your spirit, the beauty of the gospel that renews and restores a very broken and dead relationship now because of what Christ did upon a cross as he died for our sin, a rebellion against you as the creator God. And Lord, we're grateful for a church that loves to interact with the world around us. And I pray that we would truly be seeking to have these very intentional conversations, opening our hearts and our minds to best help others because Lord, we know how you have helped us. And Lord, that we would truly live out the gospel. Lord, again, thank you for ministries like Choices that are very hands-on, that are right where the front lines of decision are being made and people's lives are so impacted and changed as a result of these choices. And thank you for a group like Choices that shows people that there is a better way, there's a different way. Keep them strong. Lord, I pray for that heart that's here that maybe is dealing with a loved one or maybe in their own past and in their own circumstance and in the context of their life, they've made some choices that they are now living with the results of and sometimes maybe even the consequences of. And though, Lord, not all of those are taken away, Lord, I'm grateful that as God, you give to us the opportunity to turn those things that feel like ashes and decay and destruction and you turned them into something beautiful for your glory. So Lord, wherever the context of life is in that person's heart today, I pray that you would help them to realize how much you can change the storyline if they would just sense your presence and know who you are in their life. Encourage our hearts together, I pray. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Sing with me. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou
Good morning, and uh, thank you all for joining us today. We're glad you're here. I'm Matt Pollock, head of school here on staff here at the church. And uh, just a couple of announcements, uh, really focusing on next Sunday. Next Sunday, two big events that uh, are really important in our church, and the first one is Baptism Sunday. So uh, next Sunday, we're going to, uh, right after the fellowship time, which is next in our little order, of Sunday morning. Uh, it's going to be a little shortened and we're going to come back in here and we're going to have a baptism service with Grace and Espanol and uh, we're going to celebrate several of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to be baptized here the, uh, next Sunday morning. So I hope you look forward to that. We will still have our regular discipleship hour next Sunday then following that baptism time. Now, in the evening next Sunday, it's there in the bulletin, we talk about our annual business meeting. It's a time to really have an update on our ministry, uh, to look at all the different things God is doing. We'll meet in the fellowship hall, five o'clock, for a chili supper. How about that? Uh, so this is an all business. We're gonna have some good food. Now, it, it says there in the bulletin that chili and cheese and sour cream and Drinks are going to be provided. So we're just asking for everything else. Uh, whatever you think is great for a chilly supper, bring it. Add, add a little bit for yourself and share it with a few others. So that could be anything. I mean, it could be sandwiches, some side dish, some dessert. Hint, hint. Um, you know, a little, little something extra to go with all the chili. So uh, take a look at that. Remember, we will have childcare during that time. Okay, so there'll be childcare, fun game and craft night for our elementary age children during the meeting. Uh, but this is a very important time for us to gather as a body of believers and see what we're doing together and what God is doing in us and through us. Finally, uh, this is not in the bulletin, but our church is looking to encourage uh, participation uh, in a camp experience for young people, uh, student age. And uh, so anybody from fourth grade, all the way up to high school, uh, looking for something in the summer with a trip to a Christian camp. So if you have any interest in that uh, for your kids, your grandkids, um, kids themselves that are sitting here, Pastor Adam will be in the back. Just stop and see him, ask him what this is all about, what kind of experience might you be able to participate in this summer. And it's nice to think toward the summer 
on days like this, right? So uh, let's look for that. And remember, Choices, our, our staff from Choices will be back there. Please stop and see them as well. Join us in our fellowship time, and then we'll get right into our discipleship sessions. Thank you very much.